Welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me uh, outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. First off, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's stuck with us this far through our little hiatus and the irregularity that we've been producing episodes. I apologize for that. Currently trying to do a few different, juggle a few different projects at the same time, and unfortunately this one's getting dropped. More often than it should be, that's for sure. Um, I appreciate all of you listening, and I hope that you've been able to find something that has helped you to draw closer to the Savior in your own personal study. But we're going to strive to do better, and we're going to strive to have some more regular episodes. Um, just trying to figure out where exactly to stick them in my daily schedule and make it more of a habit. So, with that being said, <clears throat> let's go ahead and jump into Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> so, but, but, and like we always do, before we start off, um, let's get started with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to grant us his blessing. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we are so very grateful for this day. We thank thee for thy scriptures, and we thank thee for our health and our safety. We thank thee for the myriad of blessings that thou hast bestowed upon us. We thank thee for the opportunity we have each day to repent and to come closer to thee. We thank thee for the gift of thy Son and the gift of the Holy Ghost, that by those two wonderful beings we might be able to gain entry and safe passage back to thy, to thy arms. Please forgive us of our sins, Father. Help us to be mindful of the ways in which we can improve and become better. Help us to be brave and accept those changes when they are whispered, whispered in our ears. Help us to be strong and to do them. We pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, this week we are going to start off, like, like I said, in Matthew chapter 21. So let's go ahead and get started. We don't have much time, so let's get started and we'll see where we get to for today. So Matthew chapter 21 starts off in verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to the Beth to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her, with, with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught to you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sihon, Behold, thy king cometh unto her, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put it on their clothes, and they set him thereon. And so the Joseph Smith translation says, And brought the colt, and put, on, put, it, put, it, and put on it their clothes, sorry, and Jesus took the colt and sat thereon, and they followed him. And a great multitude, so in verse 8, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the, pr the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. 
So let's go ahead and jump over real quick to the New Testament student manual. Uh, so under Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, titled, Entering Jerusalem on a Donkey. So the New Testament student manual says, The Savior's triumphal entry into Jerusalem during the observance of the Passover directly fulfilled the prophecy recorded in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10, and publicly declared that Jesus was the Messiah. In ancient times, the ass was a symbol of Jewish royalty. During the time of the monarchy in ancient Israel, following the enthronement of King Saul, the Jews held annual re-enthronement rituals, rituals that featured a king riding in Jerusalem, riding into Jerusalem upon a donkey. The rider approached Jerusalem from east of the city through the Mount of Olives and the Kidron Valley, and then came to the temple. These rituals looked forward to the time when the Messiah would come to his people in this same way. Thus, at a time when Jerusalem was flooded with Jews, Jesus entered Jerusalem in a manner that demonstrated he was the Messiah. The king of Israel, riding on a donkey, also showed that Jesus came as a peaceful and lowly savior, not as a conqueror upon a war horse. At the second coming, Jesus will return to the earth in great power and glory. As a symbol of his glory, the book of Revelation describes him coming to the earth on a white horse. Rather on rather than on the ass that he rode into Jerusalem. <clears throat> All right, so what we're what we're learning from this is that it wasn't it wasn't just that he was riding in and you know making a big deal of oh these people follow Jesus and all these people are really believe that he is the Christ. No, he was directly doing things once again in front of all the people, in front of all the leaders, in front of everyone. He was actively, openly saying. I am the Messiah. And now they're coming to the final points where people are kind of having to draw lines as to where they sit on this fence. Do they hold to the, to the Pharisees, who are, who are most probably also watching at this time? Or are they going to join in with the festivities and rejoice as their Savior and their King, as is being demonstrated in both these areas, that he's going to show them and bring them salvation. This was, you know, as this is something that's often talked about and something that I'm sure you've heard before, uh, is that a lot of times one of the struggles that the Jews had with Jesus being the, the Christ was that they had understood or they were looking forward to the Christ that was coming to save them from their oppressors, was coming to free them physically, save them physically. And so they were, they were searching for someone of that nature. And so when Christ came and he was talking about peace and about love and about forgiveness and these different things, that didn't jive with what they were saying, with what they wanted. They, wanted. they wanted a king. They wanted someone to come in and to conquer. But the Savior during this time is trying to show us that is the start of that. By maintaining and holding to truth, that is when you become the conqueror in those scenarios. You look back at the Old Testament, and almost every time that the Jews became, or that the children of Israel became a people um, distanced from God, that is when they fell into bondage. It wasn't when they were uh, physically weak, or when they didn't have an army, or they didn't have this, that, or the other. Granted, that is, that is an important piece to have. God appreciates those who are prepared. 
But the most important aspect and attribute of the righteous is that they were righteous and close to God, those who were free. How many times do we see that? That in the in the Book of Mormon, we see it with Alma the Elder. They were they distanced themselves from the the current political system. Alma, Alma the Elder and his people, as they fled from King Noah, then they were brought back into subjugation. But through living righteously and proving their faith, regardless of their trials that they had, they were then once again given the opportunity to be freed and to flee. There's a lot more there. There's a lot of a lot of information that's there. But but I want to stick to the fact that Christ is trying to show them you need to return to the truth. Once you return to the truth, then we can start working on those other things. But right now you have given up yourselves to your idols. You've given yourselves up to the law. Not to God, but to the law. And because of that, I have come to you in peace to try and teach you the way of life. And then we can go from there. Let's jump down. Uh, it also has a little section on chapter on uh, verse 8, that they, the multitude spread their garments in the way. So I'll let Bruce R. McConkie explain the significance of the multitude spreading garments and branches before the Lord as he entered Jerusalem. <clears throat> Excuse me. Only kings and conquerors received such an extraordinary token of respect as this. Amidst shouts of praise and pleas for salvation and deliverance, we see the disciples strewing our Lord's course with palm branches in token of victory and triumph. This whole dramatic scene prefigures that yet future assembly when a great multitude shall stand before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So that's one of the beautiful things a lot of times about scriptures that um it's this is why um you have to have the spirit with you to be able to full to get the full understanding from the scriptures and know that it's not going to take one sitting to get it all in even if you do have the spirit burning in your bosom like a roaring bonfire it's probably going to take multiple times you'll still learn things every time you read as I was, I was talking. I was thinking about it, and it's kind of like um, you think about, you know, you have a hundred amps of of power that you're trying to pass through a single copper wire. It's going to burn it up. You can't get that much information through it. Just it just won't work. There's so much information in the scriptures themselves that they're trying to talk to us about, but we have to bring ourselves closer to God before we have the mindset and the understanding capable to grasp what's being talked about fully. It's kind of the same thing with the way the, the Lord said it with parables. It shields us from the greater truths until we are ready to hear them and live them. Oftentimes, it once, because once we know those greater truths, we're held to them. We're held to that standard. Because now we know the truth. And we should never be afraid to learn the truth. Because the, like the Lord says, the truth will make us free. We'll know how to live better and greater lives. But the thing I wanted to get to was the fact that while, while this moment when Christ is coming in, in triumphal re return on, on the ass, on the donkey, um, he's coming in and it's the fulfillment of a prophecy. 
the fulfillment of the prophecy. But now you have these people laying down their clothes and these palm branches in, in the way. And now that is a foretelling again. These two prophecies that link together all of a sudden. Christ coming in return. Now Christ, now the foretelling of Christ going to return again as a triumphal king. Having triumphed over all. Christ knows what's coming. If I'm not mistaken, he has but a short while before he will be faced with the ultimate role of his life. The ultimate task that he's to fulfill. His life's mission. Granted, the teaching and the preaching were a significant part of that life role and that life's purpose. But the pinnacle was about to be reached later in the week. And I wonder how comforting it was to know that he had all these people who were rooting for him. And to know that despite those who he loved, who were very much against him, he still had those who may not fully understand, but were there on his side, were rooting for him and depending upon him. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who brought salvation to us. Let's continue on. A little bit, little bit more in the New Testament student manual. Um, under Hosanna. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means please save us and is used in praise and supplication. At the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the multitudes cried Hosanna and spread palm branches for Jesus to ride upon thus demonstrating their understanding that Jesus was the same Lord who had delivered ancient Israel anciently. These people recognized Christ as the long-awaited Messiah. The phrase, all the city was moved, suggests that Jesus' triumphal entry was noised throughout the city and was known by many people. So kind of tying back into what I was just talking about, they're depending upon him. They're crying out to him, please save us, Lord. Please save us. They know that he is the Messiah. Similar to the way that we might not fully understand all the ways in which the atonement works, we depend upon the Lord fully because what we do know, what we do know is that without the Savior, we can do nothing. We of ourselves are weak. All right, let's jump on. Continue on verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and, and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected, thou hast perfected praise? <clears throat> I want to stop on this and we'll probably close here on this, on this little passage here. 
Christ goes in to the temple. He rides as the prophecy had directed. He rode from the gates, from the Mount of Olives, from the gates on to the temple. He rode to the temple, and there in the temple, he cleansed it once again. Now, if I'm not mistaken from reading Jesus the Christ, I believe that one of the large problems that were happening at this time was you, when you wanted to do uh, perform anything in the temple, if you wanted to buy uh, animals that were fit for sacrifice, because perhaps you, you didn't have land to be able to do your temple ordinances and to do your temple rituals, so you needed to go and purchase said creatures. So you go to purchase these creatures, but, oh, now you're at the temple. The temple has a set currency. It's specific to the temple. You can only use temple currency within the temple. That way you don't bring unclean money in. Okay, so we go to the door of the temple, and there's the money changers. You need to exchange your Roman currency for temple currency. Well, the high priests and the, uh, and the other uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, the leadership of the religious portion of the, the of Israel were in charge of setting what was the ratio of worldly money to temple money and they had discovered that if they priced it just right it would squeeze out extra money for them in all reality what should have been happening was okay the, uh, a goat a goat cost this much money in Roman currency. So we need to convert it so that it's equal, maybe a little bit more so we can pay for the for the upkeep and all those kinds of things. But it wasn't that that's not what was happening. What was happening was it was being so overpriced that the chief priests and the Pharisees were allowed were allowed to um, get rich on these exchanges of money. And so now he'd become a den of thieves because now in order for a person, for, in order for an Israelite to live up to what they were being told was the standard, in order for them to be righteous, in order for them to be who they were supposed to be, they had to buy into a corrupt system. And that was something the Lord would not stand for. He would not allow this spiritual terrorism to take place to destroy the righteous hearts and minds of his children. When we take part in such things, when we, um, when we coerce, we're, we're told in the Doctrine and Covenants that no power in the priesthood can or ought to be maintained by power of coercion or persuasion or by, uh, by force. We are to invite and persuade, but never to force or coerce, or oppress. That is not what the power of the priesthood is for. The power, of pre the power of the priesthood is to bless and to magnify and to beautify, to bring up, to bring forth the truth and to build upon it. The truth itself keeps the wicked in line. And that is God's role. And God will direct his children at times to take care of certain things. But more often than not, we find that the wicked are who destroy the wicked. And the righteous are carried away into safety at the hands of the Lord. So the Lord Jesus goes to the temple. He rids the temple of this 
He kicks them out. He says, this is not what the temple is for. The temple is not about exchanging money and dealing in these things. It's not a social club. It's not somewhere where you come to feel good and to make money and to, and to better, better your own worldly ways. The temple is a place that you go to be healed, to heal others, to draw nearer to him. And so there he sat with the lepers and the sick and the maimed and all these people who needed help. And he healed them. And they began to praise him and call him out for who he was, the Savior. They began to, 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 to praise him. And the Pharisees, hoping that they could assuage some of this excitement and try and get it to tamp down a little bit and, and not have the people revolt against them, come to the Savior and they say, well, well Master, do you hear? Do you not hear what they're saying about you? Do you not hear? Tell them to stop. Tell them that that's, it's not true. Tell them, that, tell them to, to write themselves. Tell them who you really are. And he calls these people babes and the suckling. And he says, in, from their mouths, praise is perfected. Now think about it. If you've ever had a child or held a child who's just screaming, just losing their minds over whatever it may be, usually hungry or, or a diaper that needs changing. Once that is rectified, they are as happy as can be. They are immensely happy. And you can see it. The whole demeanor oftentimes changes. It's happened to me with, with my son several times. He's losing his mind. He's frustrated. Just nothing is working in his life. And then you get him a bottle. and Just boom. Everything is okay. You feel him relax. And then he'll babble and coo at you and talk to you and make noises and smile and laugh. Because for them, in that moment, that has solved every problem in their life. And so to those in our lives, who are struggling, who are downtrodden, who may be helpless in many, many ways, or they may just be unable to take care of this problem they have by themselves, the Lord has directed us to be His hands, to be His under-shepherds, to be those who carry His light to them. If we will do that and allow the power of God to flow through us from him to them, that is a magnification of our priesthood, be you male or female. That is bringing and building God's kingdom upon earth. And in that moment, when you see that happen, when you take part in that, you will see that praise perfected. When you hear those words, how did you know I needed help? How did you know? How did you know that this is exactly what I needed? Or maybe they don't say anything and you simply just see it. And you should be ever so pleased and happy if then they go on to praise God for what has happened. Because it's never about you. That's where we fall into the trap of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And even at sometimes the Lord's disciples themselves it's never about you. It's never about me. It's about the Lord 
and the people he's trying to help. Sometimes the people he's trying to help is you. Sometimes he's trying to help you by having you help other people. But one thing I would like us all to ponder on is God is not God because he hides himself away studying the scriptures and working in his garden all day. God is God because he loves. He loves his children passionately, fiercely, jealously. And we can show that same love, that same care to our fellow brothers and sisters and those who have specifically been given to us in our care. We take part in that small bit of Godhood. We feel that power flow through us. We are not the power. We are not the source of the power. We are simply the conduit. But when we are granted that opportunity to be a conduit for God's power, as we serve others, the suckling and the babes and those in need, we are granted a divine glimpse. I testify that that's true. And I testify that as we strive to do that, we will become sanctified. I know that he lives. And I know that as we continue to study these scriptures together, we will come closer to him. I beg of you, please, please seek him out on your own. And I testify that you will have your eyes open to the true wonders. Be you oppressed physically, mentally, emotionally. If you will open your eyes and turn with an eye single to the glory of God, you will become liberated. I testify that this is true. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>